Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of 1 John this morning, chapter 3. 1 John, chapter 3. <clears throat> I want to read for you the first three verses, and then verse number 10 in 1 John 3. The Apostle writes in 1 John 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Now verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Last week I brought a message that included the first three verses here. This morning we're going to take the rest of the verses down through verse number 10. But I could not get away from the, the topic presented in those first three verses because it helped me understand or unlock, if you will, the truth behind the rest of three verses. <clears throat> I want you to notice verse number 3 once again. And every man that hath this hope this hope. If you have this hope, notice what happens. You purify yourself. The word means to make holy. You live a holy life. If you have this hope, you're going to live a holy life. And in a preacher's way, I am forming this message into a New Year's message. So what will your hope do for you in 2024? Will your hope affect you in 2024? The title is actually, Is Your Hope Showing? Let's ask God to meet with us right now. Thank you, Lord, for your love and blessing, and thank you for the sweet time we've had already this morning. What an encouragement it is to meet with other believers. Lord, I thank you for the smiles that I've seen this morning. Thank you for the handshakes. I pray, Lord, that you might help us to learn to love one another. I pray, Lord, that you might be blessed by this time. In the Spirit of God, I'd ask that you would meet with us. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to die, you and I, one day. Unless, like George and I hope, it's going to happen soon, the rapture. <clears throat> we're going to face the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason we're going to face Him in that setting is because we put our faith and trust in Him. We're saved. But saved, meaning we're a son of God, a child of God. Have you captured the benefit 
of that relationship. Being a child of God, does that mean anything to you at all? Or are you at a stage that I was at for so many years, as an 11-year-old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and hallelujah, I'm not going to hell any longer. But like we've been studying, I had no concept of the eternal life of Christ. I had no concept of that. The quality of his life, living his life in me. I'm not going to hell because he saved me. That's wonderful. But there's so much more that he offers us. So if, if you're a son of God, a child of God, does that relationship affect how you live? We see in our verses here that there is a hope that should purify. Verse number one Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of the God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Notice, it's the Father, the Heavenly Father, that loves us here. We are loved of the Heavenly Father. Let's not forget, John 3.16 talks about an incredible so-love of the Father. How much does the Heavenly Father love you? He loved you enough to send his Son for you. That's incredible love. The Father is not up there like so many project with his arms crossed, furrowed brow, looking down in disgust at you. That's not the Father the Bible describes. The Father loves you. Our, we have a purifying hope in the fact that our Heavenly Father loves us. In verse number 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be. We're the sons of God. We have a relationship with the Father. We are now His children. I love a lot of folks. I love you dearly. But you're never going to compete with my love for my kids. My love for my grandkids. It's not going to happen. The world is never going to compete with God's love for you. So, we have a purifying hope in the love of the Father, in our relationship, and, verse number 2, the end of the verse, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, like the Son of God, for we shall see Him as He is. And there is an incredible hope, a hope of actually seeing our Savior face to face, seeing Him Oh, we read about him, we sing songs about him, we love him, but I've not seen him yet. There's coming a day where we will see him face to face. And again, it's not going to be with eyes of disgust. It's going to be eyes of love, love for you, died for you. He ever lives to intercede on your behalf. We're talking about a love that is so incredible and indescribable. For you. So it's a hope that purifies us. We've got a purifying hope in this. And here's the example of verse number three. And every man that hath this hope, this hope, this hope of the love of the Father, this hope of the relationship as sons of God, this hope of actually seeing Jesus, every man that hath this hope in him 
purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So our hope in the soon return of Christ and seeing him face to face causes us to purify ourselves even as he is pure. Without this hope, there will be no purification. Without hope, we won't care. We'll live as if his return will be generations away. So we'll just live as we please if there's no hope. If we don't have this kind of purifying hope, then we'll live like everybody around us. So first of all, it's a hope that purifies. And apparently, according to this passage, you can't hide that hope. You can't hide it. Having this hope purifies us, but not having it pollutes us. A life without hope, 1 John 3, 4, the next verse. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. So we've got three beautiful verses. Verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3. God loves you. He loves you. And he's got a purifying hope. These are glorious verses talking about seeing Jesus. And some, for some reason, he makes this incredibly hard turn in verse 4. And I struggled with that. Reading through this passage, I struggled trying to get what God had. Remember, we're talking about this eternal life stream of Christ, the life of Christ, and how we can access it in 1 John. What, what does this have to do here? Why did he make this, this, this neck-jerking hard turn in verse number 4? We are disrespectful toward God by repeatedly violating his law. We disrespect him. The word committeth here, whosoever committeth sin, is in a tense, it's a present tense, means continuous. Who continues to sin, transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. The word sin is an interesting word. Hamarteo, it means missing the mark. Any hunter does not want to miss the mark. If you are ta taking target practice, you don't want to miss the mark. Sin is missing the mark, but I have to ask you, what is the mark? And this one thought could change how you think. What is the mark? The mark... I believe, is God's will. The law of God in its fullest sense, not specifically the Mosaic law, but God's full law. God's law is expressed in His will for mankind. In order to be a member here, you must go to a Discovering Hope class. And these are wonderful times where, where people come and, and I get a chance for an hour, hour and a half or so to talk about Hope Baptist Church. We talk about the philosophy of the church. We talk about uh, the different ministries of the church. We talk about what we believe. We go through the statement of faith and just hit the highlights of all those things. We talk about what it takes to be a member here. We talk about, if you will, the rules of being a member here. But they're not all mandates. Like we talk about different things like being in a, a ministry. That's not a rule. 
it's not a rule, but it all, all falls under what we would call the rule of being a member. So when we're talking about God's rule or God's law, it has so much more than just the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. The law of God is, God, what do you want for me? That's his law. And when we say the word law, we think, oh, it's rigid. The law of God is simply finding out what he wants for us. God, what's your will for me? That's his his, his generic law. The Bible says, train up a child the way he shall go. Well, that's not a rigid mandate. That's a principle. You know, part of God's law, if you will. So living in this life without hope, we see that sin is missing the purpose of God's design. That's what sin is. God wanted me to do this, and I did this instead. That's a sin. Now, sometimes we understand it's, 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 a, it's very easy, black and white. God says, don't kill. <laughs> we got that one. Don't kill your neighbor, no matter how infuriated you are at your neighbor. Don't, don't kill him. That would not make God pleased if you killed your neighbor, just so you know. But what a... What about when it comes to the person I should marry? Now, that's not in the Bible. It does never says in the Bible, Dan Outlaw, you need to marry Nancy Kessler. It never says that. But don't you think God has a desire for me? Don't you think that God has a purpose or an overall desire for me to follow? It's called His will. And if I go a different direction than His will, quite frankly... That's how he defines sin. So without hope, sin is missing the mark. And God's law is the expression of his will for mankind. But with hope, with hope, you can't, you can't hide this. You can't hide it. You can't hide your lifestyle. <laughs> when my daughter Katie got pregnant, within a few months, she couldn't hide the fact <laughs> that she was expecting. <laughs> couldn't hide it. With hope, verse number 5 and 6, it says in our text, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. There's your continuing tense once again. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. So what we're talking about here is a lifestyle. It's not a fall into sin one time. It is a continuation of a sin. It's in the present tense, doing it over and over and over and over. It'd be like falling into a habit, a, a sin that we just keep doing it and keep doing it. Keep. Whosoever continues to sin, he says. See, if we abide in Jesus, we do not continue in our sin, he says. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. And here's the rub. People read this and they say, well, so-and-so sinned, so he must not be saved. That's not what this is saying. This is saying, if you abide in him, if you continue to abide in him, 
you will not continue sinning over and over and over again. Will you never sin again? Well, that's not likely. You're probably going to sin again because, man, we're dense. We're probably going to sin again. But we're not, if we're abiding in him, we're not going to continue to sin over and over and over again. Why? Well, number one, Jesus had no sin. Zero sin in Jesus. What a blessed thought. Jesus never sinned one time. With all the temptations he faced, he never sinned one time. He never had a sinful thought. Not one time. He never had a sinful action. He never even this much got bitter. He never gossiped. He never cheated. He never lied. Jesus came, we see in this passage, to take away, not just cover our sin. What a beautiful thought. The Old Testament talks about our sins being covered. The priest would take these animals and slit their throats. The idea that blood, the remission of sins with blood, the idea was covering in the Old Testament the sins. But the sin is still there. It's just covered until Jesus comes along. But when Jesus came along, he didn't just cover sin. He did away with it. Hallelujah, what a transformation because of our Lord Jesus Christ. By continuing to abide in Christ, we see here, we will not continue to sin. But the last part of verse 6, if we continue sinning, if we do, then we give evidence that we're pretty ignorant of him. We don't know Jesus. If we're going to continue sinning, then we really don't know who he is. We haven't seen him. We don't know him. Because we act like we're unsaved. And the honest, simple truth is, when we sin, we are acting like we don't know Jesus. When we're sinning, we are acting like the unsaved. So, with hope, we abide in Jesus. Verse number 7, it says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. If we continue to do righteousness. Now, if you're like me, as you read through the book of 1 John, you get to this passage, you see the word righteousness and unrighteousness over and over again, and quite frankly, your eyes cross, and you wonder what in the world he's talking about. It's, it's almost... It's almost like, um, like, get on with it. I mean, you've, you've talked about this so many different ways. Just get on with it. So we tend to speed read over this passage because we know what he's saying. He's saying the same thing over, live right, don't sin. Live right, don't sin. Why does he have to say it so many different ways? Is it possible? Is it even remotely possible? It's because we keep sinning. And so he says, I'm going to hit this from every direction possible, folks, because you're a son of God. And as such, you should not be sinning. You are a child of God. You're saved. You are set apart for his service. There ought be no sin in you at all. So I'm going to hit it from this side and 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 this side, hoping that you'll get it. You're a child of God. If we continue to do righteousness, 
There must have been a concerted effort to confuse the issue of sin in John's day. Much of what he's writing here kind of goes a little bit above us because of the audience to whom he was speaking. John was trying to, to teach his people corrections from some popular teaching of the day. There are some popular teachings going around today that John didn't have to address because they weren't happening in his day. But in John's day, there were some popular teachings. For instance, the Gnostics taught that as long as one's thought of the gospel was correct, as long as they thought it correct, it didn't matter how the person lived. In other words, as long as he believed he was saved, he could live the life he wanted with no repercussions. One commentator writes this on the seductive secret of sinlessness. The false teachers of John's day held that one might reach in some mysterious way a height of serene, inviolable, inward purity and peace, such as no things without, not even his own actions, catch that, could stain. In a less transcendental form, the same sort of notion practically prevails in the world. John meets it by bringing out in marked contrast the two opposite natures, one or other of which we must all share, that of God and that of the devil. In other words, some taught that there was a level of spirituality that you could reach. You could reach this spiritual level here where, frankly, because you're so spiritual, you can live as you please. You can do what you want because you're spiritual. You've got the gospel down. You know where you're going when you die. And so you've reached this level. So it doesn't matter if you live like the world. It doesn't matter because you're at this level of spirituality. They taught that. And many of the believers were buying into this. And so John said, no, your lifestyle is going to declare whether or not you believe or not. How you live your life will tell others, do you believe in Jesus or not? You can't go around acting like the world and be spiritual. It doesn't work. Another commentary writes this way. There are always persons who endeavor to reconcile religion with moral laxity. And in St. John's day, some Gnostics definitely taught that conduct was immaterial to the spiritual man, for no external acts could defile such. Because I'm spiritual... I can live however I want. Next, he says, continuing to do righteousness marks us as righteous. So if we have a life of continuing to do righteousness, continuing to come to church on a regular basis, continuing to study our Bibles, continuing with a passion for the lost, continuing to live a moral life. If that's our lifestyle, he said, by continuing to do righteousness, it marks us. It can't be hidden as a righteous person. You see, number one, Jesus is righteous. But what I'm describing to you is not sinless perfection. This, this lifestyle I'm talking by abiding in Christ is not reaching a level where I no longer sin. 
it's reaching a level where I no longer want to sin and I will not continue in my sin. Fall once in a while? Yeah, welcome to the human race. Stay there? No. Why? Because I'm abiding in Him. Abiding in Christ. Don't you think there was at least, on some level, some sin that went on when Paul the Apostle and Barnabas got into it over John Mark? There's some animosity between the two of them. Barnabas wanted John to go with him, and, and, and Paul said, no, there's no way. He's not going to go with us. There had to be some sparks between them, some sin. But they're abiding in Christ, but they doesn't mean they're perfect. doesn't mean they're sinlessly perfect. Don't get discouraged when you sin. A righteous man does fall, but what's he do? He gets up again. He goes on. Verse 9, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. And I know I'm out of order. I pulled verse 9 up on purpose. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. If we will not continue in our sin. So the previous point was continuing doing righteousness. This one, if we will not continue in our sin. One is doing good, and the other half of that is not doing bad. Being truly born again means that part of God. I want you to notice this once again. The middle of the verse, verse 9. This is, for his seed remaineth in him. His seed remaineth in him. If you look up the carefully in the original language, you're going to see a word that transliterates to a word that sounds an awful lot like an English word. The Greek word is the word sperma. His seed is in him. Being truly born again means that part of God, his seed, remaineth in him. It was actually implanted in us at salvation. We are His, and we are literally part of His family. With God literally in us, sin cannot coexist. We will not continue to sin. Then we go back to verse number 8, because it talks about a principle of judging others. Haven't you been told this? You can't judge me. You can't judge what I do because the Bible says judge not unless you be judged. So we're living a wicked life and usually that's what's happening. A person is, is doing really bad and, and you come along trying to be a help to them. You can't judge me. Well, let's take a close look at this. In verse number 8 it says, He that committeth sin is of the devil. And again, the word committeth here means to continue. He that continues to sin, just continues, it's, is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. So if you're going to live like the devil, you're like the devil. That's what he's saying. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So why did Jesus come? To destroy the works of the devil. So here, here's the deal. We're not certain, I'm not certain, 
that what John was saying here is making a statement that those continuing in sin are unsaved. I don't think we can make that determination to say they're unsaved. So you see, well, so-and-so, they're, 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 they're addicted to this, or whatever it is. They're, they're, they're sin over, so we know they're not saved. Well, I don't think that's what John's saying here. What we can do is make a definitive statement about what he says. Here are some conclusive judgments, or what we know for certain. First of all, continuing to sin shows the wrong lifestyle. If you're going to continue in a sin, then this is for sure you're in a wrong lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of the unsaved. Continuing to sin is the lifestyle of someone who does not know Christ at all. Anyone continuing to sin has the appearance of being unsaved, whether they are or not. It's the lifestyle of the unsaved. It's the lifestyle of the devil. We are like the devil when we continue to sin. The devil has continued to sin from his first fall in the garden. When we continue in our sin, we reveal that we are of him. Just like the righteous person is of Christ, one living in sin, continuing in sin, is of the devil. Jesus appeared on earth to destroy the devil's works. Verse 10. In this, notice carefully, in this, in what we've just talked about, in these two contradictory lifestyles, living in righteousness and living in sin, continuing in righteousness, continuing in sin, in this, this contradiction, the children of God are manifest. They're revealed and the children of the devil. This is how you determine, are you a child of God or a child of the devil? Is your lifestyle reflecting God or reflecting the devil? In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So John gives here a test to reveal whether a person is living like a child of God or living like a child of the devil. Continuing to practice righteousness and having love for other brothers in Christ is the lifestyle of the saved, children of God. Anyone continuing in such a lifestyle has the appearance of being saved, whether they are or not. They're living a lifestyle of being in God. One who is not consistently practicing righteousness is not of God, but they're of the devil. One who has no love for other brothers in Christ is not of God, but is of the devil. So here's some judgment cautions I want to give you. I want to caution you in becoming a judge. In Luke 6, verse 36 and 37, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. The word translated as judge here has several nuances of thought, but it's used here in the sense of condemning or criticizing others. 
In day-to-day life, it could be summed up with the idea of being critical of others, being a critical person. Most of us could raise our hands and say, I know a critical person. (laughs) Some of us could raise our hands and say, I'm a critical person. (laughs) That's what's being described here, not being a critical person. We ought to treat others, what I believe he's teaching us here, we ought to treat others with mercy as God is merciful to us. The thought here is exercising the golden rule in how we treat others. Let me give you just a couple instances of what I call impossible judgment calls. If you had been living during the time of Christ and his disciples, I don't believe you any more than the other disciples could have looked at those 12 disciples and picked out the one that was going to betray Jesus. I don't think you, any more than the rest of the 12, could say, I know that person is not living a righteous lifestyle. Because he was out there just like the rest of them, doing all the service all the rest of them were doing. At the feeding of the 5,000, guess who was there helping serve? It was Judas. He looked just like all the rest. And his lifestyle showed that he was a saved person. So could we have called it? Could we have accurately called who was the one going to betray Jesus? I don't think so. Ananias and Sapphira, we know the story. We know the Holy Spirit showed up and gave Peter amazing knowledge of what they had done. But I don't think, quite frankly, if I were sitting in the congregation and they stood up and said, Praise God, we want to give all the money from the sale. I don't think we would have had the discernment to know they were, telling the tr- they were not telling the truth. Though their lifestyle looked from the outside apparently good. What I think that means is you better be careful. I don't think God called us to the ministry of judging whether a person is saved or not. I don't think that's necessarily our responsibility. And a person giving evidence of being unsaved should cause us to treat them as if they were unsaved. That's the whole thing. If somebody's acting unsaved or you get vibes that they're not saved, then you need to, I believe, treat them as if they were unsaved. Here are some, what I believe, are undeniable responsibilities toward those living an unsaved lifestyle. This is somebody who may be saved, maybe not, but they're acting like they're not saved. What do we do? Well, first of all, we should pray they get saved. You say, well, pastor, what if they're saved? Pray they get saved. But what if they are? I'm wasting my prayers. No, you're never wasting your prayers praying for the salvation of somebody. Pray they get saved. And you can add to that prayer, God, you know they're not acting saved, so I'm asking you to save them. But, Lord, if they are saved, then help them to get right with you. Number two, we should limit our association with them. If they're not living like Christ, why are you hanging around them? We need to be careful to remember their lifestyle is dangerous. Dangerous. And thirdly, we should not trust an earlier profession of faith to guarantee their salvation. 
What do you mean? Well, my little Susie made a profession of faith when she was three years old. Now, she's been into drugs all the rest of her life, but I know she's saved because she made a profession. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe she is. Maybe she's not. Is her lifestyle showing that she's saved? If not, then you better start treating her as if she's not saved for her benefit. And if she is saved, you're not wasting your prayers. Conclusion. Three things. We're done. Conclusion. Number one, all kinds of people need help in their lifestyle. All kinds. My eyes were open as we had that addictions home back in Illinois. My eyes were really open because we had, coming to that addictions home with addictions, we had pastors coming. Missionaries. Youth pastors, evangelists, assistant pastors, others all coming to a place to get help from their sin addictions. All kinds of people need help. And sometimes, sometimes as, as they were being dealt with, sometimes over time come to find out, they were never truly saved in the beginning. Sometimes. Sometimes they give a very definite time where they trust in Christ. And they know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, they know they're saved. But they've, they've gotten the wrong crowd. And, and they, 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 they stopped doing right and they bought into the deceit of the devil. And he bound them in sin. You need help. All kinds of people need help. Many found freedom in Christ for a new lifestyle. So, lastly, here's what I believe is the truth that John's trying to get across to us. Let your hope, let your hope of who you are in Christ, let your hope of the fact that the Father loves you, let your hope of the fact that before long you're going to be seeing Jesus face to face. Let your hope, the hope that is in you, you that have trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you who have God in you, let your hope control your lifestyle. Let it purify you. John tells us to make sure our walk matches our talk. Let your hope of seeing Jesus transform your lifestyle each and every day. So, what's tomorrow? Tomorrow is the first day of a new year in which you have to show off a lifestyle. What's it going to be? Will your lifestyle be one manifesting the life of Christ? His eternal life in you? Or will your lifestyle be one ignoring Him and living like the world around you? You're a son of God. You have no right to live like the world. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. 
Therefore glorify God in your, in your body, which is not yours, it's His. You have no right to try to mix sin with God. It's God in you. You have no right to take the body God gave you and to use it for sin. No right! So what's 24, 2024 going to be like for you? Will you allow the hope that's in you to motivate you, to purify you into the righteousness of the one living inside of you? Aren't you glad we serve a merciful God? You're going to trip. You're going to fall. But the big difference is, what will you do then? Will you get back up, confess, and forsake, and get back going again? Or will you stay down? Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for giving us your word. And though I feel like I have not done justice to this truth. I rely upon you, Holy Spirit, to take it and to drive it into each of our hearts. Spirit of God, would you speak to hearts right now? Lord, I believe that someone here needs to hear this message. Perhaps someone here is, is, is questioning which lifestyle they're going to live. Perhaps for someone here, their hope is almost extinguished. They've been so burdened down by the pressures of their life. Perhaps the temptation for some has been just too great. Lord, would you please help us to ignite that hope once again, helping us understand who we are in you and how much you love us. And the fact that we're going to see your son very soon. Is there a decision that you need to make this morning? In the quietness of this moment. Here before we start a new year. Would you be willing to come clean with God? Perhaps you came in this morning not knowing for sure that heaven is your home when you die. Oh, I wish I could convince you how much God loves you. If you do not know for sure that heaven is your home when you die, you could know that today by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and trusting Him and Him alone. He promises to forgive your sin and to save you. With nobody looking around, is there anyone in our audience this morning and say, Pastor, I do not know, but I sure want to know. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to know. Would you pray for me? Anyone put that hand up so I can see it? Nobody else. Just so I can see it. Pastor, pray for me. I don't know for sure, but I want to know. Please pray.
Dear Lord, thank you for this time, and thank you for your love. I pray that you might continue working in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, as we enter this new year, that we will live victorious lives in you, motivated by this amazing hope that's in us. Thank you for it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.